Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? It's a story the Jedi wouldn't tell you. Yeah. That's how That's how I'm feeling tonight. I'm feeling good. Yeah, feeling real good. We're kind of on Star Wars Cloud 9 right now because, wow, what a moment in time we are. Star Wars Celebration just got done. Adepticons, of course, was a couple weeks back. It got fully done. And then now we have all this Shatterpoint rules, news, information, on top of all this other Star Wars hype. So I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to just keep this hype up every week until Shatterpoint's launch. I'm on. I am totally with you, man. I think it's it's going to be a great time. Um, I feel like we're we're hitting that hyperdrive, man. That's right. Hyperspace. It's, yeah, hyperspace. Punch it, Chewie. And we're there and we are hopefully guiding you guys on this path and hopefully we're infecting you with some excitement because we're trying to keep the, this... I, I don't know. Every week we, we're talking now, we're like, well, there's so much to talk about. How are we going to do this in like one or two episodes for this week? You know? And then, I don't know. It's a, it's a good problem. Good problem. Certainly a good problem, but also it makes things on the logistic end a little bit tougher. There's just so much we want to talk about. We just want to share this love of Star Wars with you, particularly Shatterpoint, of course, but just Star Wars in general. <laughs> we're going to get into all of that, I'm sure, at some point. Well, if you guys haven't picked up on, we want to make this podcast for everyone and something we talked about in that first little episode, and especially that trailer. And in making this podcast for everyone, it's going to be for Shatterpoint players at all levels and for, and for Star Wars fans at all levels. And we're going to kind of delve into Shatterpoint and Star Wars every week. Our goal is to like talk about all this, but sometimes it does make the episodes tough. And today we've worked on the notes and the discussions behind the scenes a lot because we really want to get these rules, game mechanics, all these things kind of in a digestible way to you as a listener and treat this as an evergreen resource maybe to return to in the coming weeks up to Shatterpoint. Like you could listen to this episode a second time, kind of refresh right before that game launch weekend, launch into your games, jump right in, start slamming games, really. That's what we're hoping. Yes, slam the listens so you can slam some games. I'm about it. That's right, Amon. Before we get into today's discussion, we have to tend to some business real quick. Hello There is supported by Mr-Laser.Square.Site, your resource for everything Shatterpoint. If you're interested in pre-ordering any of the cool Shatterpoint announcements, including the core box, please check them out. Yeah, I was talking with Mr. Laser recently. He does have everything stocked, including the pre-orders for Luminara and Grievous for the following month. So get your pre-orders in now if you want to order through him. Of course, Amon, our last episode, our first episode of the podcast, we mentioned our Patreon at Hello There Cast. And of course, it's at patreon.com slash Hello There Cast. Our patrons support us at that place. And if you enjoyed the show, consider supporting us and joining our Discord community through our Patreon. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. Yes, Amon, that is right. I do get to say that this week because in the one week since we've launched our first episode, we have gotten so many patrons that are these generous, wonderful people that decide to support us right up front. Yeah, Jesse, it's been absolutely incredible. I think we were talking actually pre-show a little bit and I was like, hey, dude, our Discord's like kind of popping. And you're like, dude, you didn't even check the Patreon, did you, right? And I was like, no, I haven't. And there are some people who have yet to join the Discord, which honestly is, is exhilarating. And so I must echo Jesse's sentiment and that thank you to everyone who supports us 
we're super excited to create the highest level of Star Wars content that we possibly can. And given, yeah, and given Jesse's previous history with Star Wars podcasting, it's a high bar, but we're going to blow through it because we're ready. We're going to punch it. Um, so I guess I'll just go through the list very quickly. Yep, of course. All right. We're going to give a... We got some patrons to thank this week because they joined. That's right. And this will happen every episode. If you join, you'll get your name shouted out. We've got a couple levels so far. Jesse's going to go over our different membership levels, but for our Padawan and Acolyte level, shout out to JR, C. Scott, Jordan, Joe, Moves in Stereo, Randall, Gustavo, Mara Jade is a babe. Shout out to that. And Fufara. We also have a couple Jedi Knight slash preferably Sith Warriors. <laughs> there it is. And they are Alfredo, Christopher, Joe, and Omnis. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Very special shout out from me to Christopher, who is my co-host of Furious Finest. That's Chris. And of course, Omnis, a good friend of Amon and I. And uh, of course, we've done a lot of content with Omnis over the years. And we're really happy to have all these people in the Discord starting it off. And this is my moment before I get into the tiers to do a quick housekeeping. If you're on this list and you're not in the Discord yet, it means you haven't synced your Patreon with your Discord. So go into your Patreon settings, make sure it's synced and connected to your Discord. And I'm also saying this to any future possible patrons. When you join the Patreon, a lot of people are going to, I've already been messaging me, how do I join the Discord? Just make sure in your profile on Patreon, you have your Discord synced to your Patreon and it will automatically add you in the second you join the Patreon. You'll automatically be added in. So just make sure you do that because that's how you get in. There's no other way I can let you in um, because it is a locked Patreon to keep you know, trolls out, but also to reward all these patrons who've decided to support us. And that gets into our tiers real quick, Amon. So we decided on a couple tiers for the Patreon, and I'm pretty excited about these tiers, Amon. I mean, you've already mentioned two of them. And I, I would say these are probably our most default tiers. I don't I would know, what would you call it? Maybe that? popular, right? Yeah. So we have the Padawan Acolyte. That gets you in the Discord and you get a shout out. That's a wonderful way to support us, and that it means a lot. But of course, the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier is probably our most recommended tier. It's that middle tier, and it gets you access to the Discord, a shout out, and of course, a bonus secret podcast feed where Mon and I are going to talk about all sorts of Shatterpoint list building, Star Wars content, and things that aren't even necessarily Shatterpoint. We're just going to kind of let the mics roll on that feed, which is going to be very exciting. But then, of course, there's two more high tiers. These are the people that really want to help us support the podcast and make this thing happen. They're basically souped up Jedi Knight Sith Warriors, which makes perfect sense. We have the Jedi Master Sith Lord tier. Amon, what do you think about this tier? I think this tier is awesome. Again, this is like this tier and the next tier are for those people who are going to help push Hello There to be the highest form of content we can possibly create. Um, Not only are you getting everything from the previous tiers, but you're also getting a personalized shout out each episode because at that point, you're pretty much a producer. You're a producer. Yeah. Definitely, which is a big deal because you're going to hear your name every episode. You're also going to be on any content we make in the future, like videos or even other forms of content. Of course, I'm on the final, most powerful tier of all, the Grand Jedi Master Sith Emperor tier. You know what these these roles entail. There's typically only one of these characters and of these things in the universe. And also this tier, it's everything prior, but then you also get personal one-on-one correspondence with us through discord text and even discord or your preference zoom or skype calls or something like that talk about your list whatever you want to do you know this is also included in this tier so that's all the tiers 
we highly recommend you just checking out the Patreon. It's linked in the show notes every episode. And click on it. And of course, the second you join one of these tiers, you get added to that patron Discord, which we are really trying to build fully and richly. Yeah, I think we, we're both working and making sure that it can be that resource, but also that community, right? I mean, we've already started with something called Movie Club, which is fun. And so first Movie Club was Rogue One, which happens to be my favorite Star Wars movie. We're still waiting for everybody to kind of finish that episode, but then I think from there... Jesse gets the next pick, so we're very excited. Yeah, so just we're already starting some fun community engagement, and we're going to be doing this with terrain, painting, list building. The list goes on and on and on, so it's going to be a fun place to be, and of course, it's going to grow by the day. So that's our Patreon. That's our full spiel of the Patreon. From this moment on, we'll just kind of like shout out the patrons and thank them and move on. So, you know, if people have questions about this in future, we'll return to the segment, but we just want to get out of the way. It's amazing, Amon. Last week, we had no patrons, and now we have patrons, so the community has started to build, and these early people mean a lot to us because they really are the foundation of Hello There. Absolutely. And we cannot wait to, I guess, grow with them. Absolutely. But Amon, we got to move on to our main topic today. What is Star Wars Shatterpoint? Yeah, it is a, it's going to be an amazing miniatures game. I'll tell you that much. That's right. But yeah, I think today <laughs> the focus is to just kind of go over all the rules that have kind of made their way out into the wild. There are a ton of resources out there ton of content creators creating some cool things. And a lot of people, um, even non-content creators, have done some awesome community work and compiled all the rules that they've come across, all of the, watched all the demos. I've done some of this myself as well, where I've just watched and absorbed as much content as I can to ensure that we can today accurately tell you on how to play Star Wars Shatterpoint. And full transparency too, you were at Adepticon and you played some demos. That's right. I got to play two demos actually and I watched a third. You got a lot of hands-on experience on top of all this kind of research you and I have been doing over the last couple of weeks to get this episode ready. So we're really excited to like give this to you as a resource and learn together. Amon and I back and forth. We're going to be kind of asking each other questions and, and Amon's going to be guiding us through how to play the game and kind of some of the tenets of the game. That's right. Obviously, you know, we've Jesse's kind of gone over these notes with me. And so he's just as, you know, versed as I am in, in most of these things. But I think the idea is to just kind of, I guess, because I've actually got my hands on experience. You've played the Adepticon demo, which I'm very jealous yeah. of. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> so you could have came. I know. I know. I LVO burned a hole in my pocket. But I'll, I'll be at, uh, you and I will be meeting up at some cons very soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and hopefully Shatter points at those. We'll see. But Amon, we're going to start with that initial question I asked right at the front. What is Star Wars Shatterpoint? I did mention in that first episode that old EU Legends concept of the Shatterpoint of a Jedi Master that was kind of mastered this ability. They could see moments in time of things kind of happening in a battle and they could kind of like act on those. And Mace was like the best at it at the old Legends story. But what is Shatterpoint through AMG's definition? So I was actually watching one of the demos and, and Will Schick kind of phrased it in a, in a great manner. And so he said, Shatterpoint is moments in time where an individual or a group of individuals do something so momentous that it can completely change the course of history. Very Star Wars. I mean, that Rogue One crew, we just watched it. They changed the entire course of history. Yeah, I mean, that's a Shatterpoint for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if we don't get the plans to R2, where are we at? You know, where are we at in the Star Wars storyline? Shout out right? to those, those rebel bros on the bridge who just taken it for the universe. Whole universe. So... A Shatterpoint, it's a very cool way to frame the game because they've talked about this game a lot and it's really spoke to me in a lot of ways, Mon, because I've played a lot of Legion over the years and they've talked about how it's like 
a mini zoomed in battle within the greater battle like legion like a game like legion you zoom in on a little area of the map and there's something very important going on that's going to change the course of the entire battle or maybe the entire history going forward yeah absolutely i think obviously it's trying to invoke that saturday morning cartoon vibes of the early 90s and honestly even into the 2000s where you know you have these greater conflicts happening across the star wars universe but you know what is anakin doing in that conflict what is asajj doing you know what is the mandalorian doing you know like so many cool things that you can do and see and i think highlighting that particular engagement of those named characters those pivotal characters fighting and contesting over whatever objective they're trying to achieve and how that influences the wider conflict perfect so i guess the question now i'm on is we know what shatterpoint is so let's talk about when we show up to the game, what am I bringing? Like, what are my units called and how are they formed into a list? Because this is not an army, like in a traditional war game sense, you know? Yeah, I would say completely different if you're used to larger scale games or like Legion. This is more of a skirmish style game. And if you're familiar with MCP or, you know, my background, Warhammer Underworlds, of course, you're going to be more used to the model count here. So Shatterpoint is played by assembling two strike squads. And squads consist of a primary, a secondary, and a supporting unit. Each squad must be built from the same era. So the best way to explain it is think prequel movies and the original trilogy. And each primary character, for example, Anakin, has a number on the back of their unit card. And that unit card denotes what the total point costs of the secondary and supporting unit can be in order to play with that primary. And obviously, this is for balance purposes. So for example, again, I mentioned Anakin. Anakin is worth seven points, while the other three primaries who have been revealed on the Atomic Mass Games transmissions, or they call them like data data bank yeah, uploads. we're going from our MCP background, but yeah. yeah. that's right. The others are an eight. So this would imply that because Anakin is such a powerful unit or fighter, yep. it's only fair that he is one point more expensive. I know it's kind of hard to think about it that he's cheaper, but more expensive because you can fit less when going with Anakin for balance purposes. Right. So it does limit you more in what you can bring with Anakin. One would presume as the game goes on, like we're going to have the points are more scrunched with him, which makes sense because he's a powerhouse character. But I already love this part so much. I'm on this is so different from other games I've played. I've played so many skirmish games and army games. And this fact that the primaries cost nothing. I say in quotes, like they, it just, you just bring two primaries and then you kind of fit characters that fit within their price point to support these primaries. But you just kind of grab two primaries you like and then build underneath that. That's going to get a lot of people excited because I think everybody in this community is probably going to have two or three, four primaries they really love that they just want to grab immediately and just start playing with. And the only rule you have to follow with this is just fitting the secondary and the support unit within that point spread. And it's pretty doable because we talked about in that first episode, you can kind of, you can mix and match good guys and bad guys. You can do a lot of things. So the points will be easy to fill in, really. It's like, oh, Anakin's got a powerful secondary with him. Well, let's bring in some B1 battle droids, you know, and fill that last little points out and I'm good to go, you know, or something, if you really want to do that. Now, something you did mention that we didn't kind of went through really quickly. You talked about a squad, how of course, having to be from the same era. Does this mean I could take a squad from the original trilogy era and then a, a second squad from the prequel trilogy era and have them work together? But of course, the squads are contained within themselves, right? That's absolutely correct. So if you ever wanted to create that fanfic, I know, where you have like prime Obi-Wan during the Clone Wars with, you know, Princess Leia Commander, or, or Princess Leia with, you know, whomever, or I guess 
from what they've announced thus far, you know, you can take Luke with Leia and Lando and Bar R2D2, right? Bar Droid. Um, with Obi Wan, Commander Cody, and two hundred and twelve. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So the game is opening a lot of doors that we've never had in Star Wars minis games ever. And I just want to point that out. So if anyone's a fan of that part, that's pretty cool. It just means your squads can be different eras, but each squad has to be within that era. So we talked about point costs. We talked about mixing and matching, which is very cool. Now, let's talk about some like keywords and stuff, Amon. So they've been throwing these things out a lot in the blogs and stuff. Certain characters have keywords, right? And certain characters have like types and stuff. Yeah. So there's they use a couple, I guess, jargon, for lack of a better term where you hear like unit, character, and tag. So I think the two words that are referenced the most are unit and character. So a unit references a stat card. For example, Darth Maul is a unit. The Mandalorian Super Commandos, who are two miniatures or two characters, count as a unit because they share a stat card. Okay. So I guess the quickest way to think of it is characters are minis on the table and units are like just a stat card with either a character or multiple characters that make up that one unit, right? And, you know, this is not too different from a game like Star Wars Legion, right? Where you would have a character like Maul and you, who has a unit card. And then in Legion, you would also have a B1 battle droid unit card with multiple B1 battle droids on come with that card. So it's just more the jargon. We're going to have to train ourselves with the jargon, like the unit and character thing. Just like because when we talk about these abilities and characters, it's going to reference these things a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you ever want to clarify how many miniatures are in a unit, right? Like obviously we just said super commandos, there's two miniatures. You can always check the back of the unit card and it's going to have an icon that looks like a person in parentheses after the unit name and classification. So for example, if you look at Darth Maul, you know, the card, it will say Darth Maul, primary unit, and then a symbol of one person. For the Mandalorian super commandos, it'll say their name, Mandalorian Super Commandos, supporting unit, and then two person symbols, which denotes how many miniatures or characters are in that unit. Okay, very cool. They also, too, like that the game has this sort of tiers, like of the primary, secondary, and supporting. It's just that's how it always is, you know? Like the, most minis games, you can go like a bunch of primaries will go tall, right? A bunch of minis games, you can go a bunch of supporting units, you can go wide. I assume there's going to be taller and wider in this game as it goes on, but it's going to be different. It's going to be, you're still taking these tiers in both squads. You just have to do it. And I, I find the, like the restrictiveness of that very cool and actually freeing in a lot of ways, because we're going to find different ways to be creative. You know? No, absolutely. And I also think it's the idea of very easy to list build. I think a lot of challenges that many gamers have, or not maybe just initially is like, where do I start? Like, how do I build a list? 100%. You know, like, how do I build a deck? How do I build a strategy? But with this, again, super simple. Pick your two favorite characters and then make sure the points match for everything else, which is it's it's in bold on the back of the unit cards, right? Everything, how much everything costs. And then you play the game. When you take that one step further, Mom, what's incredible about this for the business side of this, and of course, just the accessibility to players, that also means that like, I can go buy Obi-Wan's box that has Obi-Wan Cody and the 212 supporting units. And that is a squad. That's just straight up a squad in a box that is good to go, has synergies, and the points work with Obi-Wan's primary point costs, right? So that's already unique on top of all this. And I'm very excited to see where that goes. And it's cool to wrap your head around how these concepts work, how the points costs work. And we're going to explore this more on this very show. No, absolutely. I mean, again, Super ease of access- accessibility. I love how you mentioned that. 
But then it's also like, oh, I like Obi-Wan. I like Anakin. I like clone troopers. They all have the Galactic Republic clone. I mean, tag. Let's play a game. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of synergy already. Where do we go from here, Iman? Because now we've talked, we've laid the groundwork with how you build these squads, how you point build, how you can mix and match if you want. What's the next step? Yeah. I think the best way to move forward is to kind of talk about what those units and characters can do. So one thing to note is that there's actually no unit coherency in this game. So again, super commandos, right? There's two of them in the unit. Both of those characters or individuals can be anywhere on the board. But keep in mind that they also take damage as a unit, which is is super interesting, right? Because it's not something that we've really experienced yet. No, because even a game like Legion, which I mentioned earlier, forgive me if I keep referencing it, but I think we have a lot of Legion players probably listening right now. That B1 Battle Dread unit card example I gave earlier that has multiple miniatures as characters in this example. Well, first of all, they have to be in cohesion. They have to be kind of by each other, right? But second of all, too, their health pool is like the individual miniatures being removed. Lord of the Rings is like this. A lot of games are like this. This game is not like that, Amon. You're talking about it's kind of mind-blowing how you can split these commandos like you talked about on different sides of the map, and they're just sharing a health pool. And the example I'd give with that is one's heavy in combat, taking a lot of fire, and one's sitting back on an objective and not taking any damage at all, but that damage is still being kind of like spread between them on the card. Exactly. And and the way that I like to think about it is that just the total unit efficacy, right? Like, gotcha. you know, maybe that's your comrade in arms that you're concerned that they're taming damage. So it incapacitates you or, or maybe stops you from focusing on the objective at hand. It could be a fear thing, like whatever lore you want to insert into that moment, you can. Awesome. But ultimately, they are effectively one card in terms of damage and actions. So if one gets, you know, you mentioned the example here, if one is in combat and Anakin's swinging on them, and Anakin takes them down, then if they get injured or wounded or they get some sort of status conditions, both characters in that unit have to share those conditions regardless of what they are. Okay, so yeah, even that second com- commando that's safe on the board on the other side of the board, getting all those conditions or even that wound. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, and and it just it goes even further than that. They also share actions. Let's talk about this. Yeah. So if you start off declaring a move action, right? What do you, what do I do with my two characters next? Yeah. So if you declare an advance, yeah, then both characters have to advance. Okay. And that's eats up the unit's first activation because technically they're the same unit and a unit can only make two actions during their activation. So even if, for example, we have two super commandos on the other side of the board and one is holding objective or contesting and one is not, then you don't have to move that first one contesting, right? But because actions have to take place in order, you must choose to move or move or, or not move that one, and then you move the other one, and then both of them have completed their first action. The inverse of that, which is very cool, is that's like kind of getting two actions for one, kind of. Yeah, especially with like combat, like if one shoots, the other shoots, right? Oh, man, that's so good. So good. Well, that's a there's a pro and con to all that, right? Like we talked about the con of them sharing the damage, of them sharing the condition stuff, but now we get you just got into one of those pros. They can both attack. That's a big deal. It's a big deal, especially when they're right next to each other, because then you're dumping double the firepower. Like possibly into the same target. Yeah. Focus fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's a very cool place to start, especially for these support units, which, of course, are less powerful innately than the primaries and secondaries. But they've got different things going on because they have more characters. They have more miniatures. Right. So each unit also comes with three cards. We've talked about the unit card. Right. But we've also have not talked about them on yet. A cool part of the game these stance cards, these sort of 
stance slash damage tree cards really is a way to quickly explain to players if they've played a game with damage trees. Um, I personally used to play a lot of Arena Rex. Has awesome damage trees in that game. It's a gladiatorial combat game. And I think Shatterpoint takes the damage trees to the next level because you've got these stances, quite honestly. Yeah, I think these unique stand cards are really important to the characterization of the character themselves because it kind of gives the designers, and I think they've done a wonderful job so far from what we've seen, and it gives the characters a lot of flavor because you can... You know, technically everyone's a primary, right? Whoever's a primary is a primary. But how do I differentiate between the two primaries? Well, they may have different abilities, but how do we take that a step further? Okay. Well, you know, if Anakin's super aggressive, maybe he dishes out a lot of damage. You know, like we've seen Obi-Wan kind of previewed recently, but, you know, yeah. we can assume based on Obi-Wan that if you watch the shows and the movies, he's not as aggressive as Anakin. So what will Obi-Wan do that's different than Anakin? It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And this is really cool because these cards also reference their attack and defense dice. So it shows how many dice they can use on both offense and defense. It shows their expertise chart, which provides the unit bonuses when they roll expertise, as well as, again, as we mentioned, the unique combat tree. So it's super exciting because I think those combat trees are really going to be showing off what each character can do. This includes like repositioning, jumping, damage, etc. Very cool. Yeah, it's also going to feel really fun too when you get a lot of these expertise and successes off on this damage tree. And you're kind of seeing your characters' combos, like what these combos look like and how these characters play as a monset outside of their already unique abilities, which would be akin to like superpowers and MCP, these sort of like abilities that do powerful things. This is completely separate from abilities. This is like I did damage to you, I shoved you, I maybe repositioned or jumped. Like it's it's full on combos, really. And depending on which stance you're in is going to determine which combos you can do. So I also think that's very cool. But the last card, I, we mentioned three cards. So you've got the, the unit card for the particular unit, that stance, damage tree card. And of course, the last card is the order card. And Amon, I'm really excited for you to tell us about how orders work in this game and how you take your actions with your characters, quite frankly, and how it works. Yes, absolutely. So the last card is the order card. And I think one of the cool things about Shatterpoint is like the idea of this game, at least in my interpretation, is that there's this random nexus of events occurring. So fate okay. or the force, right, is huge in Star Wars. Love it. Any Star Wars game, any Star Wars media, etc. So when you play the game, to demonstrate how little control you have in fate or the force, you have to shuffle your order cards, as well as a card called the Shatterpoint card, which I'll get into in a moment. Order cards that you have, when you draw from that order card deck, that determines your activation order. So it's super random, but again... This is the force or fate dictating which characters are able to shine and act in certain moments. Very good. Also, quite frankly, too, if anyone's like a super competitive gamer at home, there's we're going to get into more stuff to make that more competitive. But also, there's just less units in this game than other games. Like Legion has an order mechanic, but frequently Legion lists are 10 to 13 activation lists, you know. So it's like you're just really grabbing from a big pool. You know, this game doesn't have that many units with this sort of primary secondary support times two format right so you're getting through that deck especially that first round i'm going to say in quotes before we get to what rounds are in this game you talked about the alternating of the deck how can we or how can we change that yeah it's a great question i love leading questions (laughs) Um, but i think before we jump into that one of the cool things that i noticed was that When you draw a card, some of the cards have a symbol in the top left-hand side of the card, and that denotes that the unit is referencing that it has a start-of-turn ability. So 
So sometimes when you get caught up in the minutiae of the game, you draw a card, you forget stuff. And there's a lot to learn, at least in the beginning, right? With any game. So this will just say, hey, by the way, in a giant yellow sign, let's say I activate X character. Before you do anything with them, use this ability if you can, which is pretty cool. It's helpful. Yeah, for sure. And so for the competitive players out there, you know, like random activation order might concern you. But there is a way to mitigate that, like Jesse mentioned. If for some reason you don't want to activate that unit, you can spend a force token. More on that later. And what you can do is you can put that card in reserve. Now, a couple things to note about reserve. You can only ever have one card in reserve. When you put a card, an order card in reserve, you don't have to activate them immediately. Instead, what you do is you draw your next card and you have to activate whatever unit that you draw. In your following turns, let's say your opponent goes after you went and then you draw a card, or it's your turn to draw a card rather, you can then choose to play the card in reserve or draw a fresh card. But again, you can only ever have one card in reserve. So let's say you activate that reserve card and then your third turn after in the sequence of events, your next card that you drew, you could then choose to put that in reserve, spending a force token and so on and so forth. Very cool. Also, there's a factor of competitive fun in that too, where you just, Amon sees that I have Obi-Wan in reserve and I'm just holding it. And you can visually see that from across the table because we haven't mentioned this cool part of the game yet, Amon, but these order cards, man, they're beautiful. They're They're large. They're full art. They're full bleed to the edges and everything. I love it so much. It is very clear who you are pulling from the deck to you and your opponent. And of course, it's even more clear when you put that character in reserve because you are rotating the card to the side and putting it in front of your deck with the character's face up. So both of you know what's in reserve, right? Yeah, and that can help you, like you mentioned, plan. You know, like, oh, okay, Jesse's going to wait maybe till the end for Obi-Wan to do something. Right. How can I mitigate what Obi-Wan can do? And we'll get into a little bit more of that. Now, that being said, a natural question that follows up to that is, well, what if I draw my cards, right? What if I've activated everybody? Well, there's no cleanup phase like in MCP or some other games, right? You simply just reshuffle the deck and you start drawing from the deck again. Now, this can be really interesting because draw order can be a factor, right? Like I can start the game, activate Ahsoka. She could be my first unit to activate. And then I might bottom deck Ahsoka in the second round. So you kind of have to plan for that. But... There is another way that you can kind of overcome that potential consideration, and that is the Shatterpoint card. And each deck has a Shatterpoint card in the order deck, and the Shatterpoint card is very cool because it allows you to activate any unit on your side of the board, even if you've already activated them. Awesome. It's amazing, right? You can also activate them if they're wounded, which is crazy. Like think about like you're playing MCP, you have a character dazed, and then all of a sudden you can just activate that character anyways. Crazy, right? It is crazy. And then you can also choose to activate a character before you even draw their order card. There's just so many cool things that you can do with that. And that's that X factor in this game, I think. Very cool. Yeah, because I mean, maybe Ahsoka is bottom decked on that second go around, as Mon mentioned. But you just drew the shatter point. She's going to go. She's going to do something really powerful. And then you're still going to draw her again later and do something else again with her. So I think it's very powerful. I also like the efficacy of this card, Amon, where you mentioned Obviously, it's super powerful to go with a primary multiple times with this card. But I think when we get more into the minutia and the competitive workings of this game, we're going to find out probably very quickly down the line, especially with some maybe some tournament play in, that sometimes the Shatterpoint card might just win a game by doing something simple, like moving a support or something, right? At a key moment and just turn the tide of the battle, game's over, right? And so I'm really excited to see what players do with a card this powerful because it really is up to the user how they use it because it could be it can be getting more actions out of a character that's already gone or it can be like you said doing someone early it could be doing someone a second or third time 
it's kind of endless, right? The possibilities. They really are. And I think that's what kind of makes me so interested in the game. While I may not get to activate everybody when I want to, I certainly will get to focus on the characters that I think are best for me in this particular moment in the game, right? Love that. You know, if I want to go to town with them all, maybe I can. <laughs> if you can, yeah. Oh, that's really good. I like it a lot. Well, Amon, we've kind of like laid the groundwork of the game, but we haven't talked about something yet that's very important to us skirmish minis gamers. How do we win a match? As a very competitive-minded player myself, I think, you know, <laughs> I will always try to figure out how to win, right? And so this is how you win. If you're familiar with games like MCP, right? Marvel Crisis Protocol, or even most other games now, you will win a game of Shatterpoint by objective-based scoring. Got it. So how that works is each player brings a mission pack to the table. The only mission pack that we have been shown, um, and I believe it might be the only one in the starter set, it's called Shifting Priorities. So this is a card that details your map pack, how you lay out the map. So it's very similar to MCP in that regard, where it kind of defines the rules of engagement. And that card will also share any special rules that are associated with it. So in that demo that I mentioned earlier with Schick, he explained that for shifting priorities, players can roll defensive dice in the second and third struggles, which we'll get into what struggles are in a second, and consult the mission map to mark the corresponding active objectives with a priority token. Now, active objectives are important because when you're drawing from those map decks, there are going to be some objectives that are yellow and some that are gray. Yellow objectives are the objectives that you can actually score on, which is really cool because they change up to three times over the course of a game. It's a lot. Right? Yeah. They're moving around. Yeah. So if someone has like kind of figured out, I think that's one of the challenges that I find with MCP is that sometimes maps are figured out or they can get figured out. It's kind of hard to do that here. I mean, you can take your best guess, but if you're like dominating the left side of the board and you win struggle one, got it. And then your opponent, because they lost struggle one, gets to pick what map they use, they could probably just pick one that benefits maybe the left side of the board, right? And so now you have to kind of move all your guys over, but it gives your opponent some time to kind of fight back. Well, you mentioned scoring and you mentioned these objectives. This is how the only way we score, right? Is, are these objectives? Or are there other ways we can score or at least change the speed of the scoring? Yes. That's a great question. Effectively, there's this tracker called a struggle tracker. And the middle of the struggle tracker is the number zero. And then it goes up to eight on each side. And each side is denoted to a player. And so the struggle tracker is really cool because the struggle cube starts in the middle of the board. And the whole purpose of winning a struggle is to get the struggle cube to land on a spot where you have a momentum token. And momentum tokens both start at eight on each side. So if Jesse and I are playing a game, we start at eight. But if things happen over the course of the game, let's say Jesse's Obi-Wan takes out or wounds my Mandalorian Super Commandos, then because Jesse was able to temporarily incapacitate one of my units, momentum goes in his favor, right? So Jesse can move that momentum token from eight to seven. Yep. And so now Jesse has less work to do over the course of the game to be able to win that particular struggle because he has an easier time. Yeah, the gap has been narrowed, right? Like. With that example, you're still playing to eight points on your side. I'm still playing, but now I'm playing to seven on my side, right? And that tug of war is really getting more intense. And we haven't talked about that tug of war yet, but the score tracker is very unique because it is a very tug of war system. It's very different from us scoring 
alongside each other, quite frank, like a game like MCP, where it's like Amon scored four points, I scored four points. We both move our score trackers up to four, and we go to the next round. Not the case in Shatterpoint. It's constantly moving left and right to the middle, back and forth. So this is already very different. It's super different. And and it actually, scoring is very fast in this game to a certain extent. So like Jesse and I are playing a game. Jesse goes first. You don't get to score off your first turn because the, the advantage there is you get to go first, right? Got it. So Jesse goes and then I go. Let's say I contest an objective and it's active, right? I get immediately at the end of my turn, I score one point. So what I do is I move the struggle cube one over to my side. Now, let's say Jesse has his turn and Jesse scores one point. What it's going to do, it's going to take that one from my side and put it back to the middle, which is zero. Got it. Now, from there, it's really interesting. If it ends on zero at any point during the game, we both get a momentum token. So we both go from eight to seven, which means it's easier for both of us to close the game out, but we're still tied in terms of the perceived advantage. Yeah, and also in-game clock has started to tick, you know? The game is already going faster in some ways, you know? And it's something we're going to see as a recurring theme because Amon already hinted at, like, wounding a character and stuff like that. There's a lot of things to, like, move the cubes, both cubes, the momentum cube and the struggle cube, so. Anakin has an ability that can actually help move the move it along faster, too. That's, that's right, that's right. So we talked about the momentum cubes that kind of narrow the gap. We're talking about the struggle cube. What happens, Amon, when I get the struggle cube all the way to my number, like my highest number on my side? What happens then? Yeah. So when a struggle is one, all objectives flip back to their non-active side, and then you randomly draw a card from the phase two stack. Now, once you draw, if there are, if it's like one option, then that's what's going to be played. There could be two options, right? And then the player who lost the struggle gets to pick what option better fits their board state. And then from there, per the corresponding map, you flip and then nothing else changes. You know, your characters stay in the same spot. Your order deck doesn't reshuffle. It stays in the order that you're in. And then you just play the game. It's that lack of cleanup phase you mentioned, but it's also very cool because we are in a new round per se. I mean, we're in a second struggle. So the entire map has changed. Everything went down to gray. And then now we have new yellow places represented. It's going to be different. It's going to be different, you know, and you're going to have to reposition and quickly turn the tide of battle, which is very cool because, you know, the theme here is the battle is always changing. The struggle is always happening with the force. And yeah. And you have to adapt as a player. Yeah. So you mentioned Amon scoring is very quick. You mentioned it happens every turn, which is awesome. So how do we score these objectives? And can I score multiple in a turn? That's right. You can. So in order to score an objective, you have to be within range two of the objective. Now, what's really cool about Shatterpoint is like, I can go to an objective, I can contest it, I can score it, and then I can move off it, and it can still be scoring for me until an enemy comes and contests that objective. Very nice. Yeah. So you leave a token or something to, to show that you have it. Yeah. And so let's say you've scored it, your opponent comes, and then they're trying to contest it from you. They actually don't get to take the point away from you unless they get you off your point. Okay. Got you. you could, you've got to not be there at all, right? For them just to auto take it. Which is why like a lot of damage trees that we've seen so far have like shove on them. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And you've also mentioned too that the scoring happens at the end of your turns, your individual yeah. unit turns, right? So this would lead right into the question I just had about, can I score two objectives? So if I had two 212th clones on separate sides of the map by two active objectives, at the end of their 
unit card activation, I could score two. Yeah, your your points would go plus two. And then let's say on my turn, I only score one. Then if it goes from zero to your two, and I score one, it goes from your two to your one. But I'm trying to slowly drag it back from you, right? <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So I'm still in the lead by like a point, but you're you're bringing it back and closer to that zero. And also, once again, that zero is scary because it makes the momentum show up for both of us and narrow the gap for both. But, you know, it, it's pretty cool. So we've hinted at like the changing of all these things. We've hinted at like the struggles. Have we talked about them on how you win the game with the struggles yet? Yeah, I think we briefly alluded to it, but... The cool thing that I like about Shatterpoint and is actually really interesting to me because, again, from my Underworlds background, every Underworlds game is you effectively in one round play a best two out of three. Very cool. With Shatterpoint, it's the same concept is you're playing a best two out of three within your one game because there are potentially up to three struggles that can occur. So if Jesse and I are playing and Jesse just wins struggle one and two, then that's game over. But if Jesse wins struggle one and I win struggle two, then we go to a struggle three. And this is when things start to get a little bit more messy because you can have characters that are have taken injuries. You can have characters that could be completely displaced, right? Love it. And that's where you really have to adapt and, and really bring in that tug of war to try to seize the day, if you will. Awesome. That's very good. So just best two out of three. There's not really rounds. There's these struggles. And there's not really cleanup phase. So the struggles are happening independent from, as Amon said, the order decks reshuffling. And things like the force coming back to you, right? And the force is an economy in the game, Amon, that we can talk about here. And when does like the force come back? Comes back when you sh- when you reshuffle your order deck? That's absolutely correct. And so th- I'm really glad you brought this up because each primary has a number of force tokens associated with them on the back of their unit card. And so let's just say two primaries you pick, they both have three. That's your force pool. Each unit, regardless of their force user or not, has special abilities that require a force. And this is really cool because it limits your your resource, but it allows you to, again, have a little bit more control in the game because you can choose when to use those cool abilities. So, for example, if you look at the Mandalorian Super Commandos or the Clan Krees, right? If you look at their jetpack ability, it has a force symbol next to it. And that means that in order to use their jetpack, which is a free move they get, right? A free little jump, it costs a force. But hey, that pretty much means that you can reposition them without having to use an activation. Wow. Very cool. So yeah, it's a very powerful resource you have with you as a player. I also find the the idea too that like certain characters bring more or less force very interesting. And also from a lore side of things, you know, we like lore here on the show. And I think it's very cool that, you know, the force is for everyone in the Star Wars galaxy. Like whether you're a Jedi or Sith, like the force is affecting everything. It's in all beings, right? In the universe. And the fact that like we're spending force as a nebulous resource, we're calling on the force it's not just the Jedi and Sith or the stars of the show, which I think some people might have been worried about when the game was first revealed that like the clones and things like that were going to feel less impactful, maybe not really have abilities, just be more kind of like rolling dice and very much not the case. The clones can spend force to do things just like the clan Kree's Mandos can as the example Ramon gave. So I find it very cool because you're kind of managing what's best for my team as a whole. How do I use this force resource? most effectively, right? Do I want to put it all into Anakin this round or do I want to, uh, you know, spread it between my whole team? You know, what works for you at given time really matters. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that your midichlorian count doesn't define your interactions with the force. That's right. Uh, Because, you know, you're still seen in the force, you know, you're still 
part of this ebb and flow of the galaxy and very cool. So we talked about how you win the game. We talked about unit cards and characters within those unit cards. We even talked about Amon some actions you can take, but I think now's the time to talk about what are these actions you do? Because you did mention there are two of them that you get on every unit card every time a character activates from that order deck. But what are the actions we can do? Absolutely. So yes, there are more actions that you can take, and I'm just going to run through these fairly quickly. So one action is called Focus. allows you to add an extra dice to your attack. There are some rules like Impact and Sharpshooter, which allow you to gain additional bonus dice denoted by the number next to the rule. So for example, Gar Saxon, if he focuses and he decides to make a shooting attack, he would gain three dice when he focuses because he has sharpshooter in parentheses two. So he gets one for focusing and two just because he's a natural marksman, right? Which is a cool way to flex his sniping ability. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also cool and clean that anytime you take a focus, you're just getting that focus token, then the extra die. And then if your character has abilities that stack on top of that, then those would stack, right? It's just like, it's just very clean. I like that. Absolutely. Now, there's another example where you can take cover. So what this allows you to do is you can push an inch. So you can move one inch with your character, ideally next to cover, and then you gain a hunker token. So when you get a hunker token, you get an additional defense dice against ranged attacks, and these stack. Got it. So if you hunker twice over the course of the game, you have two extra defense dice, which you can utilize. But if your character ever gets into melee range or combat, they lose all their hunker tokens. But also you're saying, Amon, if I hunker early in the game and I have a character like back on the map and they're hunkered a couple times throughout the game and they never get engaged in melee, they just have that defense the whole game? Yeah, they're 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 in cover deep. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. Uh thematically cool too. I like that a lot. You did mention this push of a move of one inch, and you know, if anyone's new to the hobby and stuff, and this might be more gaming terms that we kind of throw out there really quickly. You know, of course, it's just an inch as in measurement, but also very helpful to know what the range rulers in this game. Amon and I are very familiar with this mechanic because we are avid MCP players, but any of the range sticks in this game, the side of the stick, like the shortest part, basically you take the range stick and you stick it straight down on the table, like from vertically, you're going to have that one inch distance, right? So just keep in mind, all your range tools have that on it, which is a very nice tool to have. It's, it's not a separate tool for this it's like sort of hunker thing. Even that range two you mentioned earlier, Mon, that you're going to be using check for objectives. You can just turn that and set it down, see what that one inch is. I also like this take cover. Gives you a tiny little move. That's cool. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? You just kind of like that Gears of War slide into cover. You know what I'm talking about? That's right. I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what's some other actions we can take, Mon? Yeah, sure. The next one is recover. So this allows you to heal one point of damage from yourself. Or you can remove a condition from yourself. And sometimes I think you're going to want to use this because conditions can be very penalizing in this game. But a cool thing is that you can also remove a condition from a character within range two of the character that you're making the recover action with, which is cool because you can help your friends, you know? Yep. And I feel like with conditions being as powerful as they are, using recover action on a lesser character on a greater character, that's pretty cool, right? Like, like they take something off of Anakin, right? Yeah. That's a good use of their action. Absolutely, because Anakin's your primary and he's going to probably do some heavy lifting, which leads me into a couple of other tidbits that I did want to add. Every character moves at the same range. So there's one tool called the advanced tool, and that tool is used for moving. Um, when you move, one caveat is you cannot place your character in a spot where the elevation is higher than you. How do you determine elevation? Mm -hmm. Well, you take the range two tool, 
and anything higher than the tool from the bottom of your base onwards is on a higher elevation. I think Atomic Mass Games has done this by purpose because every single piece of terrain in the core box, the elevation or where you can stand or the platforms where you can stand are higher than two. Got it. It's very clear. Yeah. Yep. So that limits your movement, of course, if, if something's higher than that, right? Like you, you've got to factor that in. Let's get back to this part. Everyone has the same movement. Very interesting, very different from us as MCP players, even as a Legion player. You know, Legion has speed one, two, and three. So that's interesting and very unique. Also makes these larger base models very interesting as well because they have more movement. Yeah. And I think also, sure, they have more movement, but it's also just easy, right? Like pick it up and go. Everybody moves the same, but what makes Anakin maybe more mobile mm-hmm. or maybe a Mandalorian with a jetpack more mobile than a B1 droid Oh yeah, is the cool abilities that they can do with their jetpack, right? So yeah, we can ignore some of these limiting factors of movement. Yeah. Or elevation. Yeah, of course. Of course. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. But that leads right into this new concept they've introduced in the game of ingress points. Yeah, that's that's actually something really cool I like is that so an ingress point is something like a ladder, right? And some of the terrain they've showed in the core box has like ladders. So if you end within one, so range one of an ingress point, when you end your turn, you can automatically choose to move to the other end of the ingress point. So let's say at the top of the ladder, and you can end within one of the top of the ladder. So that denotes that kind of moved up there, you climbed up the ladder, you kind of jumped off, and then you're ready to go. And that's your activation, which is pretty cool. Well, yeah, it's super cool because there's a lot of extra movement, right? And now the movement stick being kind of the same for everyone. Now it's getting more interesting because your terrain setups and things and kind of where you deploy and stuff is really going to matter because you're getting this sort of like one inch move up, one inch sort of thing, which I find super neat. Someone who likes to make a lot of terrain, a unique challenge too, like very creative way to like deal with this elevation stuff without these abilities that kind of get around the elevation that Amon mentioned. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the hallmarks of Star Wars is that the verticality of the combat. Yeah. You know, they're in the far future in a galaxy far, far away. And that means we get to use, you know, these Jedi jumping around, but these jetpacks and, you know, one cool thing about elevation too, is that like, if I shoot down from a higher point vantage, you don't get to benefit from any cover. Wow. So that's really cool too. And that really plays into the aspect of people with, you know, blasters firing away at one another. Such uncivilized weapons. <laughs> That's right. Very good. Well, we mentioned abilities, Amon, and I guess we got to get into the types of abilities in this game. Very similar to us as MCP players. And the first one I'll just read real quick is the active abilities. It's very simple. It's an ability that can be used anytime during units activation. And if the text begins with an action, it also counts as taking one of your two actions. These active abilities always have force cost. So these are very powerful abilities. Yeah, these would be like abilities where characters can maybe reposition, move around, or or do something else where um, it kind of identifies who they are. But again, like because it's active, right? It just replaces one of those activations, which is cool because it allows certain characters to, again, differentiate themselves from the others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're spending this resource of this force. So, I mean, it, it should be something really good. Now, moving on, we also have reactive abilities, which only work off of triggers. And on the card, it will tell you when you can use it off of that trigger. They also always have a force cost. So these are also powerful abilities that, did you meet the trigger? Did you meet the trigger? Yes. Okay, now you may spend force to do it and something cool happens. Yeah, I think an example of this would be like Ahsoka. Like if you do damage to one of her allied units, she can like move towards yeah. the unit because she likes to defend her friends, you know? Yeah. There's also one more called innate. These are... Abilities that are always in effect, 
and they generally never have a force cost. And there are actually two subtypes of these innate abilities as well. So one are called tactic. So these are special innate abilities that allow units to work together. These are the ones that I referenced earlier that must be used at the start of a unit's activation. So the symbol will be denoted on the order card. And the other one, which I think is the coolest of the bunch, is identity. So these are special innate abilities that are unique to primary units. And each identity ability explains how it is triggered and used. They are often used in response to a triggered event. And each triggered event or a reaction to an event. So for example, if I have a reactive ability, I can only use one reactive ability. Let's say if I had two that maybe shared the same window, I'd have to pick. Okay. But identity abilities don't count towards that because that character is always going to do that because that's their identity. It's just going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it really feels like uh, super different alternate universe, multiversal stuff, leaderships and MCP, you know? Like, it, but also what's very cool about this to me, Amon, is identities, you said, are primary unit things. So it means every time I build a list with two primary units, the mixing of the identities is very unique as well. And the things that could trigger off their identities. I don't know. I find it possibilities, once again, endless. We'll see what how the different identities work together or don't work together. You know, I'm very interested in that. So that's everything on a card. But Amon, we, we left the most fun part for last. Rolling dice. How do we roll attack dice in this game? How do we roll defense dice? How do we compare results? And how does damage and these effects and stuff get through? Yeah, this is a great question. And, and I'm glad we kind of saved this for last. So attack dice are D8s. And so the attack side, there's a couple faces. There is a critical hit. There are hits. There are fails. And then there are expertise. And on the defense dice, those are D6s. So those are fail, expertise, and block. Now, these are really cool because let's say I have Anakin. Anakin doesn't have any range attacks because, you know, he's Anakin. He's a lightsaber. So Anakin needs to be within range two of the B1 battle droids. That way they are now, you know, engaged. So Anakin, let's say, says, I want to attack at the B1 battle droid. Anakin will look at his combat stance card. Now, once per activation, you can actually pick what combat stance your primary character is in, but you can't change it twice. And depending on what stance he's in, this could affect the number of dice. Now, Anakin, both his stances revolve around him just being a melee combatant. But, you know, there are maybe stances that would benefit a more long range playstyle versus a short range playstyle. But in this example, Anakin swings, I roll some dice, and you roll dice. Now, the way that this whole damage system works is what happens is critical attacks or critical hits on offense can never be blocked. Love that. So they will always go through unless, of course, there's a defensive expertise on the defending side that can change those results. So for example, you could see a defensive expertise that adds blocks to your pool you could also see a defensive expertise that modifies your opponent's dice to make them less potent coming into you. Gotcha. Vice versa, if I have offensive expertise, you know, for example, if I'm Anakin, if I'm just rolling expertise, I'm just auto-dealing damage to you because I'm Anakin. So if you look at Bo-Katan's card, she has Beskar armor. If she rolls, you know, one to two to three to even four expertise, she would just gain a ton of blocks because Beskar armor is real tough stuff, right? So once we do the addition and the subtraction of what's actually going through, let's say I get four results that go through, four hits. So we go and consult the damage tree on my stance card. Now, there is a orange beginning point that you must always start with. And then from there, you kind of follow a path. And now if a path ever forks, you must pick a path and then continue along that path. You can't just kind of pick and choose what you want. So for example purposes, let's say there's just a straight line. So if there are four Let's say Anakin's first is just dealing two damage because 
Anakin just likes to just hurt people, right? <laughs> the second one could be one damage and a shove. The third one could be three more damage. And then the fourth one could be a fork where you can either pick a damage and a heal or a damage and another shove, right? So you kind of get to pick what works best for you, but you kind of have to commit a path either way. And damage works as a pool. So after you've kind of go through your damage tree, whatever damage has been totaled at the end of that damage tree, you just throw that damage onto your character. So there is technically a limit of how much damage you can do because once you hit the end of the damage tree, that's it. If they take enough damage that matches their health pool, they become wounded. They're effectively dazed if you're familiar with MCP and they can't really do anything. They can't contest. They can't be activated. They can't be targeted until you draw their unit card. So I think it's smarter to wound characters after they've been activated because then it's a longer time until they can potentially be activated. Got it. And then once they've activated, that wounded token turns into an injured token. And what that injured token does, if a character hits the number of limits of injured tokens they have on their unit card, they're removed from the table. But while they have injured tokens, every force ability that they want to use costs one additional force. So it's a penalty because they're suffering from some sort of injury. So I know that was a little long-winded, but... I think that kind of covers combat as a whole. Even if you have more successes that made it through the defenses. Correct. It's just it just capped out there. Yeah. Very rare. Sure, very rare. But it's like once again, this game is so unique with these damage trees and stances because I got three successful damages through your blocks. It's like I got three moves through my tree on you. And now these moves are gonna do different things. They're gonna trigger damage, they're gonna trigger special abilities. They're going to do different stuff. And once you commit down a path on the damage tree, you're on that path. So obviously there's pros and cons to both paths, right? I mean, they're different. They are. And I think I think that's where, you know, developers and designers have created balance for these characters because they make card choices. It's very similar what the characters would do in the show, right? That you can do a shove. A damage could be like the first on the damage tree, right? Could be damage. And then it could be a shove. And a shove would mean that I get to push you one inch back. And then I can choose to follow up by moving one inch towards you or just staying where I am. Yeah, it's adding that dual nature that they're trying to capture. Absolutely. Which is the most exciting part to me is how thematic these duels are going to feel. Because when we got two characters locked in combat and they're triggering their damage trees and defensive tree, defensive dice and expertise in different ways, different triggers are happening, right? In theory. And when you get different characters, different combinations together, I feel like different things are just going to happen that we're going to have to see what it looks like, right? Because... I've never seen this character face off against this character in engaged melee combat. How does that go? You know, or, you know, the shooting, like you talked about, is different defenses. And how's that going to go? So that's very exciting and high on my list of things to try immediately, you know, and see what that looks like. And uh, something you mentioned to Amon that we didn't get too heavily in, but I have a question about it is engaged. You mentioned engaged, that range two, which we're very familiar with in MCP, it's sort of the melee range in MCP. What does engage mean? Like, what is that? Why is that rule there? Yeah, so engage is interesting because it just means that these two characters or multiple units can be, you know, within engage with one or multiple units themselves. So it's a realm of melee combat, right? Yep. There are penalties for being able to move out of engaged range, right? Um, so there are certain things that can affect the way that you move. And I think that's relevant because otherwise, you know, you could just kind of move freely. If someone with a lightsaber you know, you walk right by them, it's going to be weird, right? They're going to try mm. to, they're going to make it difficult on you. And so you're going to have to pay that penalty somehow in the game. Yeah. And also makes health pools very interesting in this game because you've got like basically the health pool multiplied several times, right? So that's something you got to keep in mind. But this also means a character like Anakin Skywalker has 
33 health. That's right. Because you've got to kill that 11 health three times. That's a lot of health. And a theme I'm seeing with Shatterpoint through all these demos, through all these blogs, and just kind of these rule sets we, we know is it seems like a lot of the primary and secondary characters and stuff are going to stay on the table a lot longer than they have in other games of the past, miniature games, quite frankly. Like quite frankly, and that to me is very exciting because it you're basically getting your mileage and your fun out of getting to play these characters you you brought to the table. Really excited to bring. We've all had that moment where you played a miniatures game where you get like a big character to the table and they get shot from range, they're removed from the table, and you never got to do the cool stuff on them, right? Um, so well said. This is a cool way around that, definitely. And I just I I. It's going to ask a lot of interesting questions of like, do I control the main characters and do I kill the supporting characters? Like, what, what do I do? You know, so we're, we're going to have to cross the road when we get there, but it's the gears are turning now. But well, Amon, that seems like we, we covered all the rules. That was kind of we blitzed through. So if this was a lot, listener, just keep in mind, it's still a lot for us too, even to discuss this and get it all out there. But that's basically how you play the game. Uh, something we didn't mention early on too, Amon, that when you deploy, you do deploy your squad's kind of together like kind of in cohesion but then from that moment onward you can split apart as you mentioned earlier and i thought that was interesting too so you activate your primary character within range two of your board edge and then once you've placed your primary character they must go first everybody in their squad can be placed within one inch of them okay and i think that's really cool because if you place your squads correctly for at least this first mission pack you can actually contest potentially all three objectives just off deployment alone which can be a big boon Starting the game off. Very good. Yeah. And also setting up those future turns where the map's going to be changing, right? And moving around stuff. So, Jesse, one more thing that I wanted to bring up was something called effects. Okay. Now, these are really important to the game of Shatterpoint because honestly, they can be quite deadly. So, effects are caused by abilities, attacks, or special rules that happen over the course of the game. And you can actually stack effects as well. Units can actually gain and lose these effects over the course of the game. Obviously, we mentioned the recover action, but there are other ways in which that can happen. These can be quite detrimental to your game plan, and they might force you to really think about how to play your game correctly because some of these can really mess you up. So I'm just going to go through these very quickly. Okay. So the first one we have is strained. When a character in this unit advances, so they climb, dash, or jump, they immediately suffer three damage, and then they lose the strained condition, which is incredibly wow. powerful. It's like bleed, but on steroids. Super bleed, yeah. Um, now, remember, you can also use recover. Yeah, and that's very cool, like healing your friends, because that's kind of a game changer, right? Because that means any piece of my team now can like kind of be a support unit, like remove something from one of my bigger pieces if I need them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so while the recover action is very cool, you know, it does take up one of your two actions, right? So of course. are you going to use it that often? Who knows? But it could really help you maybe set up for maybe one of your reserve units like Anakin that we talked about earlier to do some really cool stuff. Um, so, but yes, strained is wild. Yeah. Then we have disarmed. When a character is making an attack, they cannot use their expertise results. After you determine the results, then the unit loses the disarmed condition. That's cool. That's super cool. So your expertise are turned off with this condition. When making an attack. Yeah. Because you've been disarmed. Very good. Expose is another interesting one. While defending, characters cannot use defensive expertise. So the next time a character in the unit makes a defense roll, they remove any of the defense dice with the defense expertise. And then after you determine the results, the unit loses the exposed condition. It's the defensive debuff, yeah. 
So you're, you're kind of marked for death at that point. Cause I mean, you're losing a lot of your die results and your defensive triggers. So Bo-Katan, the best car is uh, exposed at this moment. That's right. That's right. So she might be in a vulnerable position. And then last but not least, there's pinned. Okay. So the next time a character in this unit would advance, dash, climb, or jump, it does not move. Then this unit loses the pinned condition. For sure. That's cool. That's super cool. Well, that's all the rules. <laughs> I mean, hopefully it's going to frame our discussions going forward, right? Because we're going to start diving into episodes very soon of like reveals characters stuff like that and we kind of wanted you to have a basis to go off of what we're even talking about and honestly a basis for us to understand all these abilities these damage trees things like that and this episode could be a resource you know this is an episode hopefully is a resource to send to people to get them acquainted with the game as well and that's kind of our goal right now absolutely and as we get more proficient with these rules we'll come back and answer more questions if you do have questions just ask us and we can try to incorporate them into future episodes just because we want to be as clear and as conscious about the correct rules as possible. Oh, very good, Haman. And of course, this game, unlike MCP, does not have tactics cards. So really, a lot of this like extra stuff is baked into these damage trees, baked into these force powers. Uh, I say force powers. Powers that you use with the force pool, because some are going to be force powers, and some are just going to be a Mandalorian using their jetpack, you know? And you need to use force points to do that. Managing all that is going to be very interesting... But I also just really like the no tactic card thing. I don't have to worry about that, you know? Just focus on my tactics with my characters. Yeah, I mean, speaking of force push, I mean, if you look at Asaja's card, right? <laughs> yeah. She just gets a force push. Force push is wild. It seems wild. You could choose a character, I mean, an enemy within three, and then the chosen character gets pushed three. So, like, if they're at the, the edge of three, you can push them a further three. So, you're pushing them, like, effectively six away from where you were, right? Isn't that incredible? It's crazy Asajj has it because she's so damage-centric. But that's also cool that she has a little bit of control. No, it's really cool. Of all that damage she has. It's, that, that seems wild. That seems uh, a game-winning ability because you could, like, maybe reserve her card, go with her late in a round, and force push someone off a pivotal point or something, you know? And set up for the ne- set up for the next struggle, maybe. I don't know. I agree with that. I mean, that seems like the everyone com- everyone in MCP right now is complaining about Hulk throwing people off points. But there it is. You got force push is wild. <laughs> it's even bigger than a Hulk throw. Seems like it's it, so. it's wild. I love oh, it. Very good. Well, that's very exciting, Amon, that you ran us through all the rules of the game. Absolutely. And I guess yeah, we have two months to kind of figure it out. In the meantime, I'm sure. AMG is going to drop a bunch of transmissions. They're already dropping the transmissions for the or the unit card. Very excited to see some more. And we're going to cover those characters on this very show. I mean, we mentioned it in the last episode, but we thought it was necessary to get not an understanding of the game ourselves, but to give you at home an understanding of the game to frame these discussions coming forward, right? Amon and I are going to have about things we're excited about and obviously getting all these character card reveals and trying to decipher what they mean and get ready for this core set launch and make you as prepared as you can be for this core set launch on your first weekend of games and maybe have a better understanding than your other locals, you know, who are just first getting the game as well because you've been kind of listening to podcasts and kind of thinking through all this stuff, getting that mental load reduced before the game comes out. That's what, certainly what I want to do in mind. I want to enjoy the game as much as I possibly can that first weekend, not have to like constantly reference the rules and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a ton of transmissions. There's a ton of articles, blogs, YouTube videos, podcasts, including ours. Yep. And, you know, the rule book's out. So I'm very excited to see how people take to the game and digest it and understand it and how many people put in the work because 
by the time release happens, you know, just like us, we'll probably be able to play the game fully just on launch day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jump right in. Yeah. And hopefully through listening to our show, you'll be right there with us and you can just jump right into the game, assemble those models, start playing that core set right out, right out the gate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And and one minor uh, mistake I caught is that I said that Anakin has three force BS4 because he's Anakin. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you got you got a big force pool if you brought Anakin in your squad, which makes sense. Once again, with that point cost of, of his secondary supporting unit being reduced, right? Like you're, you're getting more with him. So you've got to make sacrifices in his squad. Well, that was fun, Amon. That was fun to talk about the game, get an understanding of the game, kind of lay some groundwork set up every future episode and we've got some cool episodes coming very soon about a lot of these minutiae things and we're going to like stray off the path talk lore talk things we're excited about i'll probably talk some terrain in the coming weeks and help you get prepared there if i can too so yeah i mean there's there's so many cool things that we have yet to discuss i mean we're going to obviously talk about those adepticon reveals in the next episode that's right we're going to talk about some of the character unit cards that have been shared already we're going to do deep dives on those. I'm sure Jesse's got plenty of lore nuggets as well. But also, you know, we just we just want to have fun and hang out and, and you know, talk as much Star Wars as we can. I know that this was maybe a technically heavy podcast episode. And so we appreciate, you know, those of us who stuck through it. But mm. the idea here is to just share as much information as we can about the game, what we know, how we understand it, so that when the time comes, you're prepared to shatter those points when you need to. There it is. When those two struggles back to back and don't even go to the third round. That's right. That's right. Because this game can do that, which is also very cool and kind of mind blowing in a different way. It's just a, like, the fact that it's a best two of three is just different. You know, it's just different from other games. It's just it's very tense in a good way. Yeah, I think for me, who comes from, you know, my, my other podcast is on Warhammer Underworlds. Like that game is, you know, designed to be best two out of three. Right. So for me, like this is great because <laughs> it's your forte. Like, you know. You can lose that first struggle or first game and come back and, you know, steal the dub. Love that. Yeah. And I don't know. It just makes it feel more dynamic too, right? Because there's always a chance, right? It's very cool. Oh, man. Super hyped. Well, Amon, we got to tell people where they can find us, all the places. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Twitch at HelloTheirCast. You can also email us at HelloTheirCast at gmail.com. And you can also please, if you could, leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to listen. You can also reach out to us on Discord as well. We're in the big Shadowpoint Discord right now. That's right. I'm not sure if there's more than one, but we're both in that one. You can just at Jesse Aiken or Amon and you'll find us. Yeah, we are Jesse and Amon there. And of course, we're in our patron Discord as well. Of course, hello there, supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a hello there patron by going to patreon.com slash Hello there, cast, where you will sign up, immediately get added into the Discord, get added into that community. We have a lot of cool things planned for that. And of course, you'll be directly supporting the show and helping us grow. We have a lot of plans for this first year of the game. But really, to be honest, quite frank, if we could hit a lot of goals early, we would we would do a lot in the first couple of months of the game. And that's kind of our ultimate goal. And I feel like we led strong Amon with the first two episodes and we were just very transparent, you know, and a lot of the transparency is we want to do as much as possible for this game, cover as much as possible, create high level content and productions. And the Patreon is going to help us do that. It's going to help us pay all our bills, pay all of our hosting fees 
and help us plan these endeavors we have that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them cost finances. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to get there. And that's our goal and trying to make this game's community as best as it can right out the gate. Of course, we've got to thank Low Feel for our show's music and, um, you know, hope you enjoy the intro and outro every week. And of course, you can find Amon and I online on several places. So you can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, and Longshanks at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And of course, I have a Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast called Fury's Finest. That is another weekly show where we dive into everything Marvel Universe and MCP every week. Amon, where can everyone find you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer. And on Instagram, I don't have a gaming one, so don't worry about that. Longshanks. I'm on Kusro. And you can also reach out to me if you're interested in learning more about Warhammer Underworlds. I do have a podcast that's bi-weekly. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that game, so can help you out. What's the name of that podcast, Amon? That's right. It has a name. It's called Path to Glory. Very good. Very good. Yeah, also, you know, Amon and I have a lot of big plans for some um, serious competitive MCP this year as well. Though we're not going to cover that on this primary feed. That might come up in these bonus episodes and stuff. And... If you're ever at MCP places, probably find us there too and hang out. Say hello. Yeah, there is a rumor that maybe NashCon might have some Shatterpoint. Yeah, not confirmed. Don't, you know, reach out to Nate and have him yell at me. I will say, you know, something that I was thinking about going to, but if they do Shatterpoint, might be the move. Same. Same, my friend. Yeah, and maybe we can cover some stuff there. That'd be that'd be kind of nuts if we could. That'd yeah, be amazing. That'd be awesome. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode where we learned what is Star Wars Shatterpoint? How do you play it? Hopefully you can use this episode as an evergreen guide in the future, honestly, because I mean, even the stuff we didn't cover that's not out yet, we will cover that in future episodes and everything's here to get started. And maybe you can send this to your friends. Like maybe you're listening at this episode in the future and you're just getting into the game. Send this to your friends and say, hey, this is two guys talking about how to play the game in a pretty quick format. Listen to it on a walk or something get ready for that launch honestly so but until next time may the force be with you have you ever heard the tragedy of darth plagueis the wise it's not a story the jedi would tell you (laughs) 